Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So, sit back and relax, or, you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. In about a month's time, I'm going to be performing my solo show, Hyena, in Boston as part of a series of concerts that Boston University is holding. And they have invited my beloved Spassmeister, famous Austrian composer, Georg Friedrich Haas, to be the composer in residence. And when they did, they invited me to also come and perform my piece, Hyena, which is a piece that is combined spoken word, that's me, and music, that's him, in a performance where I talk about my alcoholism and the beginning of my recovery. Interestingly, you might think that I would be super excited about that because as a performer, to have your solo show performed, I mean, and this is super fancy, y'all, because it's being performed like at a museum in their performance hall, which is sort of cool because now I can step up because Georg has had a couple of his pieces performed, site-specific pieces performed in a couple of museums in Vienna. So I get to be like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> I too am performing in museums. However, every time I do hyena, apparently immediately afterwards, I thrust out of my recollection the fact that it's not enjoyable. Doing Sycorax, performing in that opera was so thoroughly enjoyable every single fucking day. Oh my God, even when I was sick as hell, even when I was stressed as a motherfucker trying to find us a place to live for the first two weeks we were there. I was so excited. I was so thrilled to be back on stage and so thrilled to be working with such an amazing director and just a delightful cast and a crew and a choir that were just so wonderful. And I'm not alone on stage when I perform Hyena, right? Like there's an entire orchestra right there. But it's the most distressing subject matter for me personally. I mean, I've played characters who have committed suicides and homicides. I have played characters who were everything from the lowest person living just above the poverty line working in a meatpacking processor house to a god, right? That's pretty much the gamut, I think. That covers everything. I played inanimate objects. I've played concepts. (laughs) That sucked. But anyway, my point is this. When you are a performer and it's just you and just your story, there's no hiding. There's no guard. There's no pretend and there isn't any make-believe. Talking about my experience in alcoholism sucks. It sucks. And every time I sit here 
looking at the script that I should pick up and I should start refamiliarizing myself with, I freeze. Now, this isn't the first time I've done this show. Each and every time I have done, it has been amazing. And I have felt so grateful, so much gratitude. From the premiere in one of the most renowned concert halls in the world in Vienna on that stage, when someone came up to me, shook my hand, and so intensely looked into my eyes and said, thank you. My partner really needed to hear your message. Thank you. Let's stretch it out to performing in Russia, Eastern Russia, in fact, in this town called Perm, where not only did I wind up having an incredible, spontaneous Q&A and rap session with several therapists and psychologists and social workers and regular ass folks in the lobby afterwards who were like, we need your messaging so much here. To the accidental side benefit of my being there, because apparently, well, it's Eastern Russia, so there's not a lot of black people out there, but the biggest splash that I made was being loud and happy and fat. Yeah, I had several other fat chicks come up to me. There was another event after the show's performance, and they were very intently waiting after this interview that we did to speak to me. And they were like, can we just take a picture with you? We were covered in the local news. And they said, we saw your picture in the newspaper and we were so happy to see a full-figured woman proud and happy because a lot of times we're told that we should hide because we're ugly. This is the thing that I received when I was, when I had my encounter with my higher power which I'm writing about right now for the second installation of Hyena, this was a thing I, that was explained to me, is that in addition to the work that I have to do actively, which is tell my story and live my life, I've also been charged with being present and open to the energies of other people and to connect with human beings and to let them see themselves in me. At the time, I didn't know what that meant. Maybe I still don't. But in that moment, when these three beautiful, lovely, sweet women came up to me and said that, my heart broke and I was so proud. My heart broke because it's unbelievable to me that human beings living in their bodies are shamed because of that. God, I hate that so much. So if you are someone who lives in a body that's not well loved, please know that I love you. And there are other people who do too. And we are all. So many of us struggling, right? But the reality is my just existing, my existing in time and space along with these other people gave them hope. What an amazing gift I received in being able to know that that's part of something that I can carry into the world. And that's why, despite the fact that it sucks so hard, I am so honored and so thrilled to have the opportunity to perform Hyena again. There's actually a film version of Hyena that is amazing and has won so many awards at so many different film festivals. We're still working on getting a distribution deal. 
So it's not available to the general public yet, but hopefully it will be soon. You know what I want to say? Let me make this offer and I'm going to, I'm going to put this down in a thing for the people who are subscribing at the highest level of my Patreon. I can't remember what it is. You can we'll put a link in the thing or something. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Go look for it. Melina Lee Williams Haas on Patreon. Maybe that I'll find a way to share with those folks the screener copy of Hyena if they want to see it before it's released. Secret preview. Special preview. Because, y'all, I really want people to see it. I'm so proud of it. It's so important for us to talk about things like addiction and how that plays into the rest of our lives. I'm doing a lot of work right now to move into centering or further centering, recentering kink and leather lifestyle stuff back into my life. And one of the important aspects of that and something that I don't think a lot of people know or understand about addiction is how much robs you of the things that you love the most, right? And in some cases, that's very obvious. A lot of people will lose family and friends. A lot of people will lose custody of their children, et cetera. So much loss and so much pain associated with alcoholism. And the thing is that I don't feel like we talk about it enough. Sure, there's certainly more discussion of that, the shows like Intervention and all of that. But I watched a couple seasons of Intervention and I don't think I saw any women of color. I don't think I saw any. I'm not even sure that there were any people of color at all. I feel like everyone, I feel like those shows are very white. Despite the fact that there is zero racism when it comes to <laughs> substances, they do not care what your ethnicity or your race is. They will come in and trash your life regardless. And yet I don't see myself there. Be the change you want to be in the world, I guess. What I really want is to be able to carry that messaging. And what I also really want is to be able to tell that story how yet again, my involvement in the kink, leather, and BDSM scenes were so vital to my recovery. Even before, even while I was still drinking, okay? Because, and this is something I don't know if a lot of people fully understand, but in the leather community, in the BDSM community, in the kink communities where I quote unquote grew up, which is in the Bay Area, alcohol, drugs, and kink were roundly accepted as not being things you combined. Now, all of you in Europe are going to say, what? Because <laughs> Europeans are all about the booze before they play. I'm looking at you. United Kingdom. Are we not supposed to say that anymore? I'm looking at you, Wales, England, Scotland, and Ireland. Yeah. Y'all are some drinky-ass motherfuckers before you play. But you know what? You know what kept me sober a couple of nights a week for years? Was the fact that I did not want to and could not walk into, in any good conscience, a play party drunk. I'm not going to bottom while I'm intoxicated. I'm just not going to do that. Now, a munch? Sure, a casual gathering of kinky folks? No worries. No problem. But I did not play while under the influence. And this was a point of, not of pride, but of necessity also for me. It's just not fucking safe, in my opinion, you know? And what was somewhat tragic 
is that the stronger that the beast, the thirst became, the thinner became my tether to my people in the kink and leather and BDSM scenes, right? At first, for years, I would say, you know what? I'm just not going to drink tonight. I'm going out. I'll have a glass of whatever when I get home. The last year before I achieved sobriety, it started to turn in the other direction. It started to become, well, you know what? I really do want to go to that party, but that bottle of Jack is sparkling and singing over there. Maybe I'll go and do that. I'll go out next Thursday night. So what started happening is, and this is something I did not even realize was happening while it was happening. I had deprioritized my social life, so much of my life, and moved it over into the realm of alcohol. The pain and the humiliation and the despair and the depression and the anxiety that I felt I didn't have to feel when I was drunk. And by that point, the last year before sobriety, everything else had evaporated. I was not working with my theater company anymore. I hadn't been thrown out. Nothing seriously had seriously happened, but there had been enough discussion of my issues, I believe, that people were just sort of Not behind my back. I don't want to say behind my back, but as a sidebar, they were just like, take note. She's a mess. Not discussing that with me per se, but letting everyone around me know to be careful. So really all I had at that point, as far as I was concerned, was me and whatever alcohol I could get into my gob to take away that grinding, screaming void of pain. When I was in rehab, Maybe the first couple of days after I got out of the critical floor, because the rehab had several floors. One floor was for folks who came in and were critically ill, which I was. Once I got off of that floor, which I think was five days, I had a friend of mine log into my accounts so that she could send a brief message letting everyone know where I was and that I would be offline. And I just wanted to just get that out of the way because I did not want to have to explain it to everybody later. When slash if, the big if, I ever did come back and decide to engage in community shit again. And I mean kink community. And the amazing effect that occurred immediately thereafter were dozens upon dozens of messages of encouragement. And not an insignificant number of messages of welcome from other sober folks who I didn't even know were in recovery, who then shared with me their stories, share with me their experience, strength, and hope. It was a miracle. It was like I had tapped into this secret chamber within the already underground world of kink, of people who were kinky and sober. That was a fucking miracle to me. Far from feeling like an outsider or a rejection, there was like a relief and a homecoming of a whole new level. The program I was in was a 30-day program, and I checked that actually on the 29th day 
because I months ago had agreed to assist with a an intensive workshop that a friend of mine, Cleo Dubois, was running, and it was a, a feminine dominance workshop. And I was one of these stunt bottoms, essentially. So people would pay to go to this event, this training program, this seminar thing, and they would have to have people to practice stuff on. And so I would volunteer for that, as I am certainly very adroit and adept at providing supportive feedback for dominants who were learning their way. And about halfway through rehab, I remembered, I was like, shit, I'm supposed to go to this thing. And I spoke to the counselor there first. And I was like, can, what happens if I leave a day early? She's like, you leave a day early. This is a voluntary program. She's like, I'll still give you your certificate, of course, because leaving one day early is really only a half a day early because you spend your last day there filling out paperwork. And so I messaged Cleo when I said, well, as you know, I'm coming out of rehab and I don't know much about what my life is going to look like, but I don't want to disappoint you. And if you, if you're desperate or if it's too short notice to find someone else, I'll still make an effort to be there. And she wrote back just the most wonderful message, just of course. And you, there is nowhere else that you should be except for here because this is your home. So many addicts burn down their homes and have nothing but ash to return to. I still had so much. I still had so many people who cared. And through the fog and the darkness of addiction, I lost sight of that. I'm not going to do the histrionic thing like, oh, BDSM can save your entire life. But what it can do is provide a community of support that is difficult to find when you're a grown up. There's the statistics about like how tough it is to make friends when you're an adult. But I will tell you the friends that I've made through the King community, either directly or peripherally through friends of friends, shit like that, for example, are invaluable to me, to my mental health, to my spiritual health, to my physical health, even all of that shit. So fucking amazing. And Every time I get up on stage and start telling this story and I think back to the day I walked out of rehab into the most terrifying uncertainty, which was how do I live life unfiltered? I had a place to land. I had somewhere to go. I had something to do. I had purpose. That's one of the amazing gifts I have received from participating in the scene. When I first started talking about this hyena that I had encountered in rehab, one of the first persons I spoke to was a woman who was a therapist who was also sober, someone I'd known in the King community for a while, didn't know that they were sober, you know, and I was talking to her about this because basically I wanted her to tell me <laughs> That there was medication I can take or that I should commit myself because I had clearly had a psychotic break. And this amazing conversation I had with her was she actually said to me, you know, actually the, the work that you're doing is transformative. Fragmenting and having this dark aspect of yourself that you associate with your addiction, being an entity that is seemingly separate from you is great work. Keep doing that. Keep talking to her. 
And I was like, I wanted you to tell me to commit myself and take a pill. And she's like, yeah, I know. Everyone wants the pill, but actually you got to do the work. My connection to kink and BDSM was the reason that I knew this person. And she was the first person to really give me a clear insight into what I needed to do with this, well, what I felt was madness that had overtaken me in my process of trying to get sober. It is so hard, y'all. It is so hard to be alive, unfiltered, when you have all sorts of shit that your brain wants to tell you. Many of you know this. Some of you are like, okay, I guess. But addiction is some shit. (laughs) I tried to explain to Georg Friedrich at one point. He had asked me a question about something that I mentioned in the show. And I said to him, you know, you need to understand it feels like you are being possessed when in your mind and even out loud, you are saying to yourself, today, I'm not going to fucking drink, even as you are performing the actions that will have a drink in your system shortly. I can't tell you how many times in that last few years before I got sober, I would be standing in my room saying, today is the day I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to take today, just one day, and just not drink, even as I'm fishing the last few drops out of a $2 bottle of pop-off vodka that I had to buy because... I hadn't gotten my unemployment check yet. The shit is grim, and my story isn't even as ugly as some. I know this isn't a competition, but all I'm saying is, from where I was standing, and that's part of the problem, I didn't think I was that badly off. But it wasn't until I got sober that I saw how badly off I really had been. It's impossible to see while you're there. It's impossible to understand how it can be that you can be so divorced from your will that you are ingesting toxins even as you are in tears thinking of how you can possibly stop yourself from needing these toxins in your system just to hit even keel, right? I want to say a few things to the people here who are sitting here who are feeling uncomfortable. And by uncomfortable, The people I know who are where I was back in probably about uh, 2006, right? You're uncomfortable because what I'm saying is hitting you weird. You're uncomfortable because you, in your gut, know you need to stop. But your brain is giving you all sorts of excuses about why you're fine. Okay? Please hear me. If you aren't fine, that is not an indictment on your character. It is not an indictment on your intelligence. It is not an indictment on your spirituality. It is not an indictment on how much you love yourself or others. It is an addiction. It is irrational. It defies all logic and it transcends all sociopolitical boundaries. It's not about you making bad choices. It's not about you being weak or stupid or less than. 
there are not a lot of people who I consider to be smarter and better and bigger and stronger and faster than me mentally, physically, not physically, because I'm just like a pudgy, fat, middle-aged black chick. But like in terms of psychological development, I consider myself to be pretty far up there. And yet there are people of even grander intelligence, intellect, and everything than I am who have been laid low by addiction. The one benefit I have is that as of today, I am still sober. So don't think that this is somehow about your character. Greater minds than ours have been felled by this, not so much on the disease model, so been felled by this trouble. Addiction comes and gets you. And yes, you do take steps towards it. But in the same way that when you start running down a mountain, you may be running at your own speed, but eventually gravity takes you. And your legs are merely moving to keep you upright. But you're going to go down that fucking mountain. And that's what addiction is. You perpetually struggling, looking like you're moving under your own volition, but really just fighting the gravity that is pulling you further down. Understand it's not your fault. It's not that you decided one day to wake up and be like, I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) Getting sober gave me back so many aspects of my life. And most critically at that time, it gave me back My access to kink and BDSM sober in a way that was beautiful and healing and nurturing and amazing. And I'm so grateful for that. I am so grateful for that. I'm tired now. I should be going to bed. Now that we're entirely nocturnal, the sun's just coming up. I can't see it, but I know it's there. (laughs) And so I am working on that. Oh, now you interrupted my podcast. <laughs> Just as I'm wrapping up, here comes my husband naked. You can't see it, though. Hello, Mr. Sir. <laughs> anyway. I don't have anything super profound to say. I'm just going to wrap this the fuck up. Y'all, for God's sake, be nicer to yourselves. And for my sake, if you're riding on that same bus that I am, but you haven't punched your ticket yet, go punch your fucking ticket. There's fewer things that gave me more relief than saying out loud, I'm an alcoholic and I need help. And if you need that, fucking get it. And if you're a kinky person and you need that, please extra, super duper extra get it. Because your sobriety is, I believe, very important to your mental and spiritual health. And you should be mentally and spiritually healthy if you're going to be doing fucked up shit to people you love, right? That's what I got for you this week. I hope that 2023 is treating you well. Hope that you are happy and healthy and looking forward to 
one small thing. Whatever that small thing is, I hope you have one small, shining bit of joy to look forward to. And I love you. You've been listening to All That and Mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb, theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. 